Hey there, Jason Whiteley with you. Listen, we've been working on this episode for a few weeks now, and we are releasing it early because of what the U.S. Department of Justice just did. Over the last 24 hours, the DOJ released its analysis of the Uvalde massacre. It was the former mayor of Uvalde, Don McLaughlin, who's a Republican. He asked the DOJ to come in and take an independent look at how police responded there at Robb Elementary that day when 19 fourth graders and two teachers were murdered in their classroom. Well, the DOJ report is hundreds of pages long. Some of it we already knew, how 400 law enforcement officers were there, but it still took more than an hour for them to confront one mass shooter. Some things we did not know in this report, it filled in a lot of blanks for us. How paramedics, first responders, were just as confused in the botched response because no one was in charge. Some deceased victims still taken to the emergency room. One wounded victim, still alive, taken outside of the classroom and laid on the sidewalk rather than taken to the hospital immediately and that person died there on the sidewalk of the school. Plus, untrained personnel ended up telling some parents their children had died. Well, the Department of Justice made 200 recommendations. The state of Texas says it has already implemented some of these ahead of time. We reached out to Governor Abbott to see if he would take our questions on this Yolitics podcast. His office said no. Bottom line, the Department of Justice report, though, is only an analysis. It is not any accountability. It doesn't suggest that charges should be filed or people should be cleared. And that's what the people of Uvalde say they desperately still want. Victims and their families are waiting for justice in this case. But the state of Texas, they just did something in court that might prevent these folks from ever being able to sue to get accountability. And this is a story that many people do not yet know about. y'all this is where texas politics gets interesting here again are two guys named jason some great guests and cold texas beer for another smart conversation on yolitics the unofficial political podcast of texas we're in a favorite place of mine we haven't had the podcast here before this is the deep ellum tap room in Deep Ellum, of course, downtown Dallas. Your first time here, though, right? It is. Uh, the Deep Ellum Brewing Company here. I have. I swear I've been within blocks of this place and didn't even realize it was here. Yeah, It's kind of hidden in Deep Ellum. I need Ellum, to kind of explore the city. Else. You probably had to get out a little bit instead of just dedicating so much time to the podcast. Maybe here. you should have invited me Th- this when you place, came here multiple times. D- don't stretch things out here. We don't want <laughs> to get ahead of yourself. This place, of course, popular for Dallas Blonde, their biggest beer. They have Nido Bandito, a lot of different ones here, but uh, Dallas Blonde is probably the, the biggest one that the folks have seen. I disagree. Uh, uh, I, I think that the Nito Pina is going to be the new uh, biggest one out there. L- let me see one of those six-packs over there. Okay. Nito Pina is, is only a taproom exclusive. A, a buddy of mine who might be watching this right now is uh, used to live here in Deep Ellum, and he moved to northern Finland hmm. inside the Arctic Circle. And before I went to see him last January, I said, hey, man, do you need anything? Do you want me to bring anything? <laughs> He said, get some Deep Ellum IPA. This is what he wanted. This is what he wanted in, in Texas. A little care so, package from home. So I, I get two of these. I, I think I got three, one for his wife, too. 
Um, and you talk about my bag weight just really oh changed on the way over <laughs> to on the way back. So I couldn't wait to, to drop these off with them. But can you imagine? You can't get this there. This is like gold. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, and, and Roman Emmy Finland. And for all of our, our, our listeners and viewers who are not in Dallas or from the Dallas area, Deep Elm, uh, Elm is Elm. I guess they started saying it that way a long time ago, like Elm Tree. Elm Street, They yeah, said Elm. Yeah. And that's how this got its name. Because it's Elm Street is right over here, right. One, one block away. Yeah. And this was the, the, the far out reaches. This used year, to be the Burbs. A hundred years ago, this was the far out reaches. <laughs> in the shadows of downtown Dallas. I'll have you put this away. Let's, put let, let's, get, let's get to the topic here. We'll put our props away. So yeah. we have a serious topic today we're actually talking about. Uh, it's one that's kind of fallen out of the headlines lately. It's, it's about Uvalde and the massacre that happened at Robb Elementary uh, almost two years ago now. Mm -hmm. And that's fallen out of the headlines, but there's still a lot happening behind the scenes legally. Yeah, it's kind of fascinating all this time. It feels like the, the, the public has sort of moved on. You don't see this uh, you know, making headlines anymore, but there's a lot that is going on beneath the surface. And what's going on beneath the surface is very important too, because right. you know, I think that you know, obviously after you see a, a massacre like this where 19 elementary students and two elementary school teachers were murdered in their classrooms uh, by a gunman, uh, when you see something like that, the, you have to think, well, something needs to be done to prevent that from happening again. We need to know everything we can mm -hmm. so that we can prevent that from happening again. Uh, and there's a lot of things you can do to prevent, but you can't learn from those mistakes if you don't see all of the information. If lawmakers don't have all the information uh, to be able to go in and go, okay, we should change this and this and this. Sure. Uh, and there was a lot wrong with the response, as we all know by now. I think they had 376 officers uh, most of whom were lined up, as we all remember from that body camera video, uh, in the hallway outside the room where the shots were taking place. It took what, 77 minutes uh, for them to go in to breach that uh, classroom and get in there and take down that gunman. And, you know, it, even the head of DPS called this an abject failure. The response to this from a law enforcement perspective was an abject failure. Well, and let me stop you there because he, he did say that. Steve McCraw is the director of DPS, but where is the accountability? Where's the A word in all this? Because we haven't had any. The families down there haven't had any accountability. The district attorney in Uvalde is still investigating this. The suspect's dead, as we have discussed here. Right. What's going on? What's taking so long? Uh, the, the publisher of this podcast, Tegna, owns Yolitix. Wheeler likes to think it's him a lot, but it's actually the Tegna Corporation <laughs> that owns this. And, and they have joined a number of different media outlets, national media outlets and others across the state, trying to get the records to find out truth and this transparency in this man. yeah uh, just to be clear here this isn't to crucify anybody this isn't to go okay let's uh, let's know who we can blame here this is to get a an accurate accounting of what happened that day uh, and what went wrong that day and again how do you learn from something if you don't know the facts of what happened right. and 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 even lawmakers many of them have complained to us that they've been in the dark about this as well so we have with us today, Laura Lee Prather. You're a partner with Haynes and Boone from Austin. Thanks for coming up here for us. Happy to be here. To, to Dallas. Um, let me ask you this. The, the reason that we really want to do this podcast now is because the state of Texas just did something that is going to make it almost impossible, likely impossible for uh, victims, family members from Uvalde to sue and get any type of settlement from the failures that we saw. Tell us what happened. 
What happened was we, on behalf of 14 different media organizations, Tegna included, filed a lawsuit trying to get the investigative file from DPS. And that would include everything, right? That would Body cam, reports. Yep. 911 calls, incident reports, hallway videos, surveillance, all of those the things. The whole shebang. The whole shebang. You, you basically had 14 different media organizations filing Public Information Act requests after the shooting, trying to find out for the public what happened that day. And they were completely shut down. So we had to file a lawsuit to try to get that information. And we did, and the judge in Travis County sided with the media and said, yes, this information should be made public. And she did that back in the summer, actually. But over the course of the last several months, we've been trying to make sure that everything is put together in a very succinct fashion so that there will only be one appeal and not two. So we went ahead and went through all the mandatory redactions that would be allowed. And the court made a whole bunch of rulings on that to be able to have a final judgment so that now DPS has the parameters of what they can and cannot redact when this information is made public. That happened in December. Just recently here. Just recently. Now the big problem with that is even though Colonel McCraw has said when the investigation is complete I will make this information public. We've heard that for a long time. Yep, mm-hmm. the evidence is immutable, sure. can't be changed. The sooner it gets out to the public, the better off the state of Texas is and the better off these families are. Hasn't happened. They're slow walking it. And so instead, they've appealed. So yeah, so the, the judge's ruling came out in December. They appealed, and right. we all know that, that the legal system doesn't work overnight. It takes a, it takes a minute. Right. The appeal is going to go beyond the two-year statute of limitations, and beyond that, if it goes beyond May when this happened, right. then the families won't have any type of legal remedy? You know, Jason, I, that's going to be up to the court, but the problem is that they will not have the evidence that they need to be able to establish their claims. There's plenty of families that have already filed suit. You can file suit at any time. It's just a matter of whether that suit can be sustained, and without the evidence of what happened that day, it's going to be very difficult for them to sustain those claims. And that two-year limitations comes up on May 24th, 2024. So it would take an action of the court to be able to somehow extend that for these families. Somehow, but it's... How likely is that, though? I'm sorry to interrupt yeah, this, but is that likely at all? You know, it's... it's. I think it'll be difficult. Mm. I think it'll be difficult. We saw here in the, in the Dallas area... Uh, it's a case in which there was a family, Graham Dyer, who was trying to get evidence of their son being killed in police custody. They could never get it because law enforcement invoked this similar exemption and their case was dismissed. Unbelievable. So when this appeal was filed in December, uh, can you explain the, the grounds on which that appeal is filed? And essentially, though, is this, uh, from your perspective, an attempt to just run out the clock on that. I, I absolutely think it's a stalling tactic. I mean, the, gr- the grounds of the appeal is basically that they don't agree with the trial court's judgment. And what the trial court ruled was that disclosure of this information won't interfere with the investigation. Why? Well, in part because the shooter's dead mm-hmm. and because the investigation is complete. Mm-hmm. So the concern that is in the law to protect against information being disclosed during ongoing investigations is 
if you're worried about evidence changing, well, the evidence isn't going to change sure. here. This is immutable, as Colonel McCraw has said. Or witnesses are going to flee. Again, witnesses aren't going to flee because they've already been interviewed. And they already all know that they are potential, quote-unquote, suspects in this action. Every officer who responded that day is being reviewed, and they all know that. So both of those concerns are, are they're just... Invalid. Also, you're not trying to protect the su- the main suspect, the gunman. You're not trying to protect his right to a fair trial because he's dead. Exactly. Exactly. You, you mentioned stalling tactic. I mean, to, to everybody else on the outside, like like me, it's it's stinks of a cover up here. Yep. What what's any idea? I know you're you're not standing in DPS's shoes here or the Uvalde DA's shoes. What's taking so long for them to tie this thing off and end this investigation? We're going on almost two years. Look, I I don't. I don't think that there's anything that's taking so long. I think there's fundamental lessons from childhood that are, you know, basically fess up if you do something wrong, don't do it again, and then you can try to reestablish trust, right? I'm sure you learned it from your parents. I learned it from my parents. Apparently, these folks never learned that because that's not what's happening here. You don't have folks that are allowing for the accountability and the regaining of trust. It's like that Jerry Maguire scene, you know, help me help you. Mm. We would all love to be able to regain trust in law enforcement, but we can't do that if we don't have the information, a complete set of the information of what happened that day. And let's be honest here, the bits and pieces that have leaked out since that day almost two years ago have not looked good for law enforcement. It's been pretty damning in a lot of cases. You have had the ability, and I know that you can't talk about a lot of this, but you've seen the full file because you had to go through there to figure out what should we redact and hold back and you know what can the public know or should the public know. After seeing the full file, after seeing all of this evidence, um, do I, as a lay Texan, do I have a real good understanding or a good enough understanding of what happened that day and what went wrong? Or from what you've seen, did it just blow your mind? So I've seen, I've seen samples of the file is what I've seen. Um, and I will tell you the answer is no. You've seen what people have decided to leak to the media, which then leaves all of us, including these families, in a position of having to unweave that narrative and those partial disclosures mm. to figure out the truth. And that's impossible. Mm-hmm. But from what you've seen and and what you know is there, uh, is there a much broader story to tell here than what we've been given so far? Absolutely. Absolutely. And and again, I I don't understand. I mean, there's there's sort of three main points to this information coming out. One is the accountability aspect, which we've talked about, and the need to regain trust in law enforcement. The second is to be able to learn from your mistakes, which you brought up in the Mm -hmm. opening, right? If you're going to learn from your mistakes, then you have to be able to have independent sources look at it. You can't just be yourself investigating it. Here we've got a situation where DPS is investigating themselves. It's like the fox guarding the hen house, right? So how do you learn from your mistakes with that sort of just intra-focus? It's a cesspool. Exactly. And then the third is, you know, for these families. These families need to be able to have closure and they need to have justice. And that's what you touched upon, Jason. Testified. (laughs) Oh, God, don't get us in that. Whitely testified. Um, Because 
you know, they're not going to be able yeah. to have closure without this information, nor will they be able to have justice. Mm. So you've seen the samples of, of the actual case file there. We, we, we cannot imagine what it, what, it, what it shows for what happened in the classroom, but as far as the law enforcement response, the accountability to all this, the regaining of the trust, it already looks bad, like Jason said, from what we've seen. These guys wouldn't go in. They wouldn't penetrate the door until that Customs and Border Patrol guy got there. What, what more does it show that law enforcement could have done, should have done? Well, the Customs and Border Patrol folks waited 37 minutes as well, right? Yep. I mean, I think we all have this idea that, you know, they drove up from the valley and they stormed the room right away. And that's not, hap not what happened. And ProPublica and Texas Tribune recently had a report come out where about 150 hours of information had been leaked to them. And that video shows the folks on the outside of the room, including Border Patrol, saying, we're taking too long, mm. we're taking too long. And if you haven't watched that video, I mean, I, I watched it. I've got twins that are the same age mm. as these children. And I will tell you, every, every time I have to argue in court on this case, I get a huge lump in my throat. There is nothing that I've ever done in my law career that has been this personal. But I'm sitting there watching the video and I, and I know the outcome. And I'm still looking at it and going, go in, go in. And they're not, it doesn't happen. So I can't even imagine the families and how they feel. But without having all the information, it's only causing more pain. As a journalist it's, and a, someone not involved in it, it's disgusting to watch this video and see this, but I can't imagine from your standpoint, because you have to go in there and fight for the transparency for the families, for the public, for everyone to see this. Right. H has it been difficult for you over the years? It's been incredibly difficult. And, you know, I, and I've, I've had the pleasure and honestly the ominous task of talking with and presenting on a panel with one of the Uvalde family members. Um, Kimberly Matarubio appeared at the Freedom of Information Foundation State Conference this year. It's on, the panel is on YouTube. I would recommend for anybody to go and look at it. But she talked about what happened that day where she was at the newspaper as a journalist listening to the scanner traffic and realizing, oh my God, I need to get over to the school. And then the chaos that ensued from that. You know, you look at Matthew McConaughey's speech before the White House about the green shoes, about the about the, the little girl, that that was the only way that they could identify her. And then I know Senator Roland Gutierrez came on your on your podcast and talked about how, you know, entire faces had been obliter obliterated. All of those children have stories that we need to respect and not just, you know, have that that information and their memories get shuffled off with nothing right that's what it's happening yeah and, and I can't forget this report that you know leaked out in the months that followed of uh, the little girl who was still calling from inside the classroom you know crouched down beneath a table or a desk there and calling 911 and basically like where are y'all why why is no one coming in right. and they're trying to relay this to officers and and still they're just stacked up there in the hallway and outside this school and not making entry uh, a lot of them apparently not even getting the word that a little girl is still calling from inside that classroom wondering where help is correct but there were also audio of 911 calls from the teacher in the classroom calling her husband 
saying, I'm dying. I've been shot and I'm dying. They knew he was outside the hall. They knew because she, he received that call. Now they ushered him out, but they didn't go in. And they stopped the mom outside from going in who wanted to go in and do, and do this herself. Yeah. Uh, and we saw that video. And, and, and so this is what we're getting at here when we talk about the accountability and the being able to know what happened. You know, reports are done. They know what the evidence is. Uh, and, and here we are almost two years later still waiting. In cases that you've been involved with in the past, has it been this hard? I mean, when you walked into this in the beginning, did you think, well, you know, We'll move through this. This is, uh, you know, this is open and shut. Or, or did you know what you were in for here? I don't think anyone imagined it would be this hard. I think going um, up against law enforcement in the state of Texas is a Herculean task, no matter what, right? Um, but I really thought law enforcement would come around. I thought that they would, they would understand as leaders and, you know, really exemplars nationwide. Texas has phenomenal law enforcement that they would follow those, you know, fundamental rules of leadership, which are when you make a mistake, you own it and you figure out how not to make that mistake again. And we just haven't seen that. So that's been the surprise in all of this is how hard we're having to fight despite those public statements that Colonel McCraw has made. And despite just, you know, them wanting to be or needing to be the leaders that we know they can be. And this is with a lot of pressure being applied by the media, by the families, by attorneys, by the public, by lawmakers, all wanting the same thing. Give us the information. Right. Let us know where the breakdowns occurred. With all of that pressure, here we are still in the dark. Right. And and the pressure, it's interesting too, when you look at it, because it's not this is not an R and a D issue, right? right. You've got Republican Dustin Burroughs taking the very brave action after the House investigative report of making public those hallway videos for which, you know, he could have taken all kinds of flack for. You've got Representative Joe Moody working so hard to close off that in-custody death loophole that would allow this information, if law enforcement wanted, to be kept private forever. Mm. So it's there's no, no one side of the political spectrum or other that doesn't want this information to come out. Everyone knows the importance of having this come out. And yet it still hasn't. And yet it still hasn't. I should have mentioned the beginning of the, of the podcast here. I had my notes to, to say this, but we did reach out to the Texas Department of Public Safety asking for a comment, asking if anyone would do an interview with us here on Yolitics. Did not hear back, not even a no comment or anything, didn't hear back. Reached out to the Texas Attorney General's office, which is the one that actually filed the appeal and is representing the state. Again, it's like they didn't even receive anything. They didn't mm -hmm. respond uh, by any means. And like you said too, Laura, this is not an indictment of law enforcement. We saw what happened immediately after this at the terrible situation at the Covenant School in Nashville, Tennessee, and, mm -hmm. and the Green Hill subdivision over there, the neighborhood. And, and the police department did not wait. Right. The Metropolitan Nashville Police Department, I think one officer, two or three of them, but one officer stormed right in, took down the suspect, shot him, and, and tracked them down, but you did not see the exact same response here in this state that has a reputation 
for law enforcement. Tough law enforcement. That's you know tough you, guys. You, you, you yeah. hear that? And Texas, you think Rangers. Texas right away. Hundred percent. We, we and no we doubt a lot that. of them wanted to do that. Uh, there was just a breakdown. There was a huge breakdown in a command structure where the guy who's yeah. supposed to be in charge, who was the head of the the school district police there, says he didn't think he was the one in charge, and other people thought that they were deferring to him. So total miscommunication on that. But again, you you, you don't learn how to change those sure. things until you have it all laid out and you go, ah, okay, here's what we need to fix. A hundred percent. So this appeal is is happening. We don't know when, the, I don't think a date's been set for the actual appeal yet or ever has No, it? I mean, at this point, we're waiting for the record to be filed. That's due January 29th. And then the briefing schedule okay. will get set. So it's months and, down and, the road. And so if the state is still upset at the judge's final ruling on this, and, and I don't want to say the state is still upset, if the state still disagrees with the judge's final ruling, and for whatever reason, wants to keep this away from the public eye, wants to keep it secret, then then what's the argument going back into court? Can you talk about that at all? I mean, how, how do you, uh, it seems to me it's on the surface here. The public has a right to know this. How are you gonna go back in there and, and convince another judge or an appeals court that we should be seeing this? Well, burden's on them, not on us, right? They have to convince the court that somehow the disclosure of this information is going to interfere with the prosecution of these, it, the phantom. If, if there is right. a prosecution right. of the, anybody. Exactly. The phantom prosecution. That Which is, we still don't have anything on that either. Precisely. So somehow they've got to convince the court that every page, every video, every photo, all of it. Because at this point, the argument has been it should all be cloaked in secrecy. This is 2.8 terabytes of data. That's what the DPS attorney said in open court. That's more than half a million photos, almost 2,000 hours of two-hour movies, and, you know, about 300,000 Webster dictionaries worth of documents, okay? That's the vast amount of information, and at this point, they're arguing every single stitch of information. Everything? Everything, including about the dead shooter who's not being prosecuted, should be kept under wraps. So their burden is to say and establish how disclosure of any of that information is going to interfere with this phantom prosecution. Laura, legally, where's this going then? Will this end up at the state Supreme Court? And, and it can't go past there, can it? Um, I think it'll end up at the state Supreme Court unless DPS has a change of heart. I hope they do. Uh, but, but that's where I believe that it's headed what, at this what point. What will the outcome be? What, what, what are you expecting? I think that if there is any case in the state of Texas where the law enforcement exemption will be held not to apply, this is the case. This is the case because we have never had a case like this where you've got the fox guarding the hen house. That investigation is them investigating their own. You've got a single DA trying to cloak the entire investigation in secrecy. And you've got the biggest mass shooting in public history in the state of Texas. If there weren't any other case, there has never been any other case with these same circumstances, and that alone should establish that the law enforcement exemption shouldn't be allowed.
obviously the primary thought here is for these families and the fact that they can't sue, they can't go forward without this information and that their window may be running out here with the statute of limitations uh, expiring uh, this coming May. And without that information, they can't get, as you said, that justice that they are due. Uh, the secondary part of this that we've been discussing is the public's right to know. And I'm just curious, if this continues this way, uh, if, if we don't see this information, if it stays you know, cloaked in secrecy here, what does that do uh, you know, in a bigger picture to the First Amendment? What does that do to cases going forward uh, involving law enforcement? What does that do uh, to our rights as citizens to know uh, about law enforcement missteps or failures in this state? I, mean, I, I think what it does is, is it begs the question, how do you ever regain trust in law enforcement? It allows for law enforcement and other public officials to act with impunity because there's no accountability for their behavior. I mean, they're, the litany of problems here that would result by keeping this information private are extensive because families that have been harmed in ways that could have been prevented by appropriate actions of law enforcement will never be able to seek any any sort of justice for that moving forward. You think this would set that precedent I too? I do. And you talked about another family from a separate case whose son was killed by a police officer. Would this embolden, do you think, down the road, if there is questionable law enforcement response, if this all stands where they're able to keep this in total secrecy, do you think we'd see more departments saying, oh, no, we gotta, we got to hide this too, that we can't see, you can't see this because we've got to keep investigating it? Absolutely. I mean, the, the law enforcement exemption that, that's being asserted here is a discretionary exemption. They certainly have the option to make the information public. It's, it's all within their discretion. And, you know, you talk about body camera footage and the, and the difference between the approach towards disclosure of body camera footage. There, every major metropolitan city in the state of Texas, including Dallas, has a body camera footage policy where they voluntarily disclose that information. Here in Dallas, it's 72 hours. In Austin, it's 10 hours. Houston, San Antonio, it's 30 days. I'm sorry, I said 10 hours. It's 10 days in Austin, 30 days in Houston and San Antonio. So those are cases where, even though there may be a criminal prosecution, the public's right to know trumps so that the public can evaluate did the officers respond in an appropriate manner or not and it really doesn't matter what the DA wants. Hmm. But let me re remind our, our listeners and our viewers if you're watching us on YouTube that the head of DPS, Colonel Stephen McCraw, serves at the pleasure of the governor. He's not an elected official, he, he, he is a political appointee by Governor Abbott. Here's something I've thought about forever, Laura, and I'm sure others have thought about this too, though. Do you think you would be having, do you think you and the public would be so in the dark if this happened in the River Oaks area of Houston, Highland Park in Dallas, Williamson County, or somewhere like that in, in, in Austin? Do you think we would have these same issues? Great question. I, you have to wonder. I don't know. 
is there anything that an ordinary person can do? You know, pe people are going to develop feelings when they're listening to this. Again, this is something that I think a, a lot of Texans have put on a back burner. They haven't thought about a lot uh, since it happened. Um, is there anything that you know regular people can do uh, to, to to move this along? I mean, a lot of people like to contact their lawmakers, but a lot of people contacted their lawmakers about this. Lawmakers had their crack at it in the session, and you know ostensibly in the special sessions if they wanted to and the, the ball didn't move much right and I and I think there are things that people can do that Graham Dyer's family that I mentioned to you they have come to the state capitol and testified four sessions in a row to close off this loophole in the law that allows for law enforcement to prevent information from coming out when there's been an in-custody death. And that finally got changed. HB 30 was passed this session by Representative Joe Moody. But that family just did not stop. They did not allow their son's memory to just be silenced. And I think that's what's going to have to happen here. Not only the Uvalde families, the Santa Fe shooting, the El Paso. I mean, goodness knows, we have far too many examples. Sutherland Springs. Yes, yeah. Sutherland Springs. We have far too many examples here in Texas. But those folks, those communities need to come forward and they need to hold lawmakers accountable for making these changes. This investigative privilege that is that is that exists in our law is there for the purpose of making sure evidence doesn't get tampered with and witnesses don't walk away or flee the area. That isn't at issue here. So there needs to be some change to the law to be able to prevent this situation where you can have the fox guarding the hen house and they don't disclose the information. So what you're saying there is it's still valuable to reach out to your legislator, even though you know, technically they're not in session right now, but this is obviously something that's gonna have to continue to be worked on. Absolutely, I mean, there's three different ways in which this issue, this mass school shooting mm -hmm. came to the national forefront. It was the second most covered topic last year, mm. other than Ukraine. Okay, second most national topic in the news. Why? Because it dealt with gun violence, it dealt with school shooting, and it dealt with law enforcement accountability. Mm. Any one of those three areas we should be able to effectuate change in, and hopefully all three. A quick little loop back when you mentioned you're, you're, you know, you're ticking off all of these other names of uh, you know, places where we've seen you know, mass shootings here in Texas. And it is interesting when you hear of all of those and you think of, you know, lessons learned and round tables that were gathered around the state to figure out solutions afterwards and so forth. This is the only one where we're still waiting. We think we have the information because it's been leaked in bits and pieces, but we don't. This is the only one where years after it happened, we are still waiting to find out a, a, a big chunk of what happened that day. And this is the only one where the law enforcement response was so questioned. And that's not a coincidence that those two things are both true. It's not a coincidence. And the, and the DA will say, well, these prosecutions take a long time. They took a long time in El Paso. They took a long time in Santa Fe. But guess what? Both of those shooters were still alive. The shooter is dead here. It's a totally different situation. Mm -hmm. Do you think we'll see prosecutions of law enforcement? No, absolutely not. This DA has already said there is one Texas Ranger who is based in Uvalde who has worked on a number of her cases, and she has already bemoaned the fact that he has been fired and the impact that that is having on her cases and her ability to prosecute her cases. 
that one person's firing is having an impact on her cases, of course you're going to have any other law enforcement official who has, who has criminal charges brought against them create this same problem throughout the state. I don't think anyone's going to get prosecuted. I've asked Governor Abbott, uh, the last time I've interviewed him, I've asked a number of times to interview him since then, but when he was running for re-election, whether he would, uh, I think the question was, and I can find it, it's probably online, will you fire uh, Steve McCraw? And he said, well, I'm waiting to find out what the final result is and, and, you know, I'm not putting anything bad on McCraw. Abbott did not want to do that. We're all still waiting. Um, And you mentioned that the legislature could, if there was political will there, enforce or create some statute that would that would mandatorily make it you know permanent that these would have to be released like a lot of the um, urban law enforcement does are is there any other investigation you can think of that's gone this long in your law career when the when the circumstances are similar here no and and then again we've never had similar circumstances mm. this, this but is with, but with a dead suspect with law enforcement making a mistake yeah so with dead suspects, um, you know, it, it, that's an interesting one as well because the DPS said in some of its briefing in Senator Gutierrez's case that they don't invoke that loophole. And yet when we did the research, they've invoked it over and over and over again. And in those situations, they never disclose the information. It didn't result in deferred adjudication or a conviction. And if, if it didn't result in one of those two things, They don't have to ever disclose the information. That was passed because it was to protect the people that were innocent, that were subject to an investigation, and then let off. It was never intended to protect law enforcement when somebody dies in custody, and yet we're seeing that happen over and over again. The more you hear about this, I'll close with this, the more you hear about this, the more you start to really get this smell uh, in your nose that there is something here, that there is uh, a potential cover-up here. I'm not saying there is one. Potential but cover-up? It looks like one. It sounds like one. It smells, it smells like, like one. one. Yeah. Uh, and, and my curiosity is this. After everything that you've been through, I mean, you've been banging your head against this wall now for a couple of years almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, after everything that you've seen with this, if you had to put a percentage on this, what's the chance that we're going to see the full truth of what happened and that there might actually be accountability. I think we're going to get the records. I just think it's going to take us a long time because I think they're going to put up every wall and barrier that they possibly can to get us from getting those records. But I think the records are going to come out. They may come out too late for the families to be able to have their justice that they so rightly deserve. But I do think that we're going to get these records because I think ultimately the courts are going to see that the public's right to know should prevail. And I know that you get frustrated in this process. I know this is my last final question. (laughs) I know you get frustrated in this process because who wouldn't, you know, it drags on, it's emotionally draining, etc. What keeps you going in a case like this? What makes you say, oh, you know, we got knocked down uh, with this, you know, with them appealing here. When you get up the next day, what makes you go, okay, I'm going to go at it like this and I'm going to keep pushing this? Because we're on the side of justice. We've, we have got to make sure that law enforcement is held accountable. We've got to learn from these mistakes, and these families have got to get justice. Plain and simple. Laura, I know you don't represent the families, but, but what's your message to them? My message is stick together, support each other, 
understand that the media is trying to get this information for you and for everyone. I mean, the media does a phenomenal role of serving as a conduit to the people, and that's exactly what we're doing in this lawsuit. Laura Prather from Haynes Boone out of Austin, uh, still fighting that accountability fight that just drags on post Uvalde. Uh, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Okay, y'all, the conversation doesn't stop here. Find us on Twitter and Instagram. We're at Yolitics.